Chapter Ten of the Double, a Petersburg poem by Fyodor Dostoevsky, translated by Constance Garnett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten. Altogether, we may say the adventures of the previous day had thoroughly unnerved Mister Goyatkin. Our hero passed a very bad night. That is, he did not get thoroughly off to sleep for five minutes as though some practical joker had scattered bristles in his bed. He spent the whole night in a sort of half-sleeping state, tossing from side to side, from right to left, moaning and groaning, dozing off for a moment, raking up again a minute later, and all was accompanied by a strange misery, vague memories, hideous visions, in fact everything disagreeable that can be imagined. At one moment the figure of Andrei Filopovitch appeared before him in a strange, mysterious half-light. It was a frigid, wrathful figure, with a cold, harsh eye, and with stiffly polite words of blame on its lips. And as soon as Mr. Golyadkin began going up to Andrei Filopovitch to defend himself in some way, and to prove to him that he was not at all such as his enemies represented him, that he was like this and like that, that he even possessed innate virtues of his own superior to the average at once a person only too well known for his discreditable behaviour appeared on the scene and by some most revolting means instantly frustrated poor mr golyadkin's efforts on the spot almost before the latter's eyes blackened by his reputation trampled his dignity in the mud and then immediately took possession of his place in the service and in society at another time Mr. Golyadkin's head felt sore from some sort of slight blow of late, conferred and humbly accepted, received either in the course of daily life or somehow in the performance of his duty, against which blow it was difficult to protest. And while Mr. Golyadkin was racking his brains over the question of why it was so difficult to protest even against such a blow, this idea of a blow gradually melted away into a different form into the form of some familiar trifling or rather important piece of nastiness which he had seen heard or even himself committed and frequently committed indeed and not on nasty grounds not from any nasty impulse even but just because it happened sometimes for instance out of delicacy another time owing to his absolute defencelessness in fact because because in fact mr golyadkin knew perfectly well because of what at this point Mr. Golyadkin blushed in his sleep, and smothering his blushes, muttered to himself that in this case he ought to be able to show the strength of his character. He ought to be able to show in this case the remarkable strength of his character, and then wound up by asking himself, what, after all, is strength of character? Why, understand it now. But what irritated and enraged Mr. Golyadkin most of all was that invariably, at such a moment, a person well known for his undignified burlesque behavior turned up uninvited, and, regardless of the fact that the matter was apparently settled, he too would begin muttering, with an unseemly little smile, what's the use of strength of character? How could you and I, Yakov Petrovitch, have strength of character? Then Mr. Golyadkin would dream that he was in the company of a number of persons distinguished for their wit and good breeding, that he, Mr. Golyadkin, too, was conspicuous for his wit and politeness, that everybody liked him, even some of his enemies who were present began to like him, which was very agreeable to Mr. Golyadkin, 
that everyone gave him precedence and that at last mr gulyadkin himself with gratification overheard the host drawing one of his guests aside speak in his mr gulyadkin's praise and all of a sudden apropos of nothing there appeared again a person notorious for his treachery and brutal impulses in the form of mr gulyadkin jr and on the spot at once by his very appearance on the scene mr gulyadkin jr destroyed the whole triumph and glory of mr gulyadkin senior eclipsed mr gulyadkin senior trampled him in the mud and at last proved clearly that gulyadkin senior that is the genuine one was not the genuine one at all but the sham and that he gulyadkin junior was the real one that in fact mr gulyadkin senior was not at all what he appeared to be but something very disgraceful and that consequently he had no right to mix in the society of honourable and well-bred people and all this was done so quickly that mr gulyadkin had not time to open his mouth before all of them were subjugated body and soul by the wicked sham mr gulyadkin and with profound contempt not one person left whose opinion the infamous mr gulyadkin would not have changed round there was not left one person even the most insignificant of the company to whom the false and worthless mr gulyadkin would not make up in his blandest manner upon whom he would not fawn in his own way before whom he would not burn sweet and agreeable incense so that the flattered person simply sniffed and sneezed till the tears came in token of the intensest pleasure and the worst of it was that all this was done in a flash the swiftness of movement of the false and worthless mr gulyadkin was marvellous he had scarcely time for instance to make up to one person and win his good graces and before one could wink an eye he was at another he stealthily fawns on another drops a smile of benevolence twirls on his short round though rather wooden-looking leg and already he's at a third and is cringing upon a third he's making up to him in a friendly way before one has time to open one's mouth before one has time to feel surprised he's at a fourth at the same manoeuvres with him it was horrible sorcery and nothing else and everyone was pleased with him and everybody liked him and everyone was exalting him and all were proclaiming in chorus that his politeness and sarcastic wit were infinitely superior to the politeness and sarcastic wit of the real mr gulyadkin and putting the real and innocent mr gulyadkin to shame thereby and rejecting the veritable mr gulyadkin and shoving and pushing out the loyal mr gulyadkin and showering blows on the man so well known for his love towards his fellow-creatures in misery in terror and in fury the cruelly treated mr gulyadkin ran out into the street and began trying to take a cab in order to drive straight to his excellencies or at any rate to andrei filopovitch's but horror the cabman absolutely refused to take mr gulyadkin saying we cannot drive two gentlemen exactly alike sir a good man tries to live honestly your honour and never has a double overcome with shame the unimpeachable the honest mr gulyadkin looked round and did in fact assure himself with his own eyes that the cabman and petrushka who had joined them were all quite right for the depraved mr gulyadkin was actually on the spot beside him close at hand and with his characteristic nastiness was again at this critical moment certainly preparing to do something very unseemly and quite out of keeping with that gentlemanliness of character which is usually acquired by good breeding
that gentlemanliness of which the loathsome mr goliadkin the second was always boasting on every opportunity beside himself with shame and despair the utterly ruined though perfectly just mr goliadkin dashed headlong away wherever fate might lead him but with every step he took with every thud of his foot on the granite of the pavement there leapt up as though out of the earth a mr goliadkin precisely the same perfectly alike and of a revolting depravity of heart and all these precisely similar goliadkins set to ruining after one another as soon as they appeared and stretched out in a long chain like a file of geese hobbling after the real mr goliadkin so there was nowhere to escape from these duplicates so that mr goliadkin who was in every way deserving of compassion was breathless with terror so that at last a terrible multitude of duplicates had sprung into being so that the whole town was obstructed at last by duplicate goliadkins and the police officer seeing such a breach of decorum was obliged to seize all these duplicates by the collar and to put them into the watch-house which happened to be beside him numb and chill with horror our hero woke up and numb and chill with horror felt that his waking state was hardly more cheerful it was oppressive and harrowing he was overcome by such anguish that it seemed as though some one were gnawing at his heart at last mr goliadkin could endure it no longer this shall not be he cried resolutely sitting up in bed and after this exclamation he felt fully awake it seemed as though it were rather late in the day it was unusually light in the room the sunshine filtered through the frozen panes and flooded the room with light which surprised mr goliadkin not a little and so far as mr goliadkin could remember at least there had scarcely ever been such exceptions in the course of the heavenly luminary before our hero had hardly time to wonder at this when he heard the clock buzzing behind the partition as though it was just on the point of striking now thought mr goliadkin and he prepared to listen with painful suspense but to complete mr goliadkin's astonishment the clock whirred and only struck once what does this mean cried our hero finally leaping out of bed and unable to believe his ears he rushed behind the screen just as he was it was actually one o'clock mr goliadkin glanced at petrushka's bed but the room did not even smell of petrushka his bed having long been made and left his boots were nowhere to be seen either an unmistakable sign that petrushka was not in the house mr goliadkin rushed to the door the door was locked but where is he where is petrushka he went on in a whisper conscious of intense excitement and feeling a perceptible tremor run all over him suddenly a thought floated into his mind mr goliadkin rushed to the table looked all over it felt all around yes it was true his letter of the night before to varemyev was not there petrushka was nowhere behind the screen either the clock had just struck one and some new points were evident to him in varemyev's letter points that were obscure at first sight though now they were fully explained petrushka had evidently been bribed at last yes yes that was so so this was how the chief plot was hatched cried mr goliadkin slapping himself on the forehead opening his eyes wider and wider so in that filthy german woman's den the whole power of evil lies hidden now so she was only making a strategic diversion in directing me to the ismailovsky bridge she was putting me off the scent confusing me the worthless witch and in that way laying her minds yes that is so 
if one only looks at the thing from that point of view all of this is bound to be so and the scoundrel's appearance on the scene is fully explained it's all part and parcel of the same thing they've kept him in reserve a long while they had him in readiness for the evil day this is how it has all turned out this is what it has come to but there never mind no time has been lost so far at this point mr golyadkin recollected with horror that it was past one in the afternoon what if they have succeeded by now he uttered a moan but no they are lying they've not had time we shall see he dressed after a fashion seized a paper and pen and scribbled the following missive dear sir yakov petrovitch either you or i but both together is out of the question and so i must inform you that your strange absurd and at the same time impossible desire to appear to be my twin and to give yourself out as such serves no other purpose than to bring about your complete disgrace and discomfiture and so i beg you for the sake of your own advantage to step aside and make way for really honourable men of loyal aims in the opposite case i am ready to determine upon extreme measures i lay down my pen and await however i remain ready to oblige or to meet you with pistols why golyatkin our hero rubbed his hands energetically when he had finished the letter then putting on his greatcoat and putting on his hat he unlocked the flat with a spare key and set off for the department he reached the office but could not make up his mind to go in it was by now too late it was half past two by mr golyatkin's watch all at once a circumstance apparently of little importance settled some doubts in mr golyatkin's mind a flushed and breathless figure suddenly made its appearance from behind the screen of the department building and with a stealthy movement like a rat he darted up the steps and into the entry it was a copying clerk called ostafiev a man mr golyatkin knew very well who was rather useful and ready to do anything for a trifle knowing ostafiev's weak spot and surmising that after his brief unavoidable absence he would probably be greedier than ever for tips our hero made up his mind not to be sparing of them and immediately darted up the steps and then into the entry after him called to him and with a mysterious air drew him aside into a convenient corner behind a huge iron stove and having led him there our hero began questioning him why my dear fellow how are things going in there you understand me yes your honour i wish you good health your honour all right my good man all right but i'll reward you my good fellow well you see how are things what is your honour asking at this point ostafiev held his hand as though by accident before his open mouth you see my dear fellow this is how it is but don't you imagine come is andrei filopovitch here yes he is here and are the clerks here yes sir they are here as usual and his excellency too and his excellency too here the man held his hand before his open mouth again and looked rather curiously and strangely at mr golyatkin so at least our hero fancied and there's nothing special there my good man no sir certainly not sir so there's nothing concerning me my friend is there nothing going on there that is nothing more than eh hey, nothing more you understand my friend no sir i've heard nothing so far sir again the man put his hand before his mouth and again looked rather strangely at mr golyatkin the fact was mr golyatkin was trying to read ostafiev's countenance trying to discover whether there was not something hidden in it and in fact he did look as though he was hiding something 
Ostafiev seemed to grow colder and more churlish, and did not enter into Mr. Golyadkin's interests with the same sympathy as at the beginning of the conversation. He is to some extent justified, thought Mr. Golyadkin. After all, what am I to him? Perhaps he has already been bribed by the other side, and that's why he has just been absent. But here, I'll try him. Mr. Golyadkin realized that the moment for Kopecks had arrived. Here, my dear fellow. I'm feeling grateful for your honor's kindness. I'll give you more than that. Yes, your honor. I'll give you some more directly, and when the business is over, I'll give you as much again. Do you understand? The clerk did not speak. He stood at attention and stared fixedly at Mr. Golyatkin. Come, tell me now, have you heard nothing about me? I think so far I have not, so to say, nothing so far. Ostafiev, like Mr. Golyadkin, spoke deliberately and preserved a mysterious air, moving his eyebrows a little, looking at the ground, trying to fall into the suitable tone, and, in fact, doing his very utmost to earn what had been promised him, for what he had received already he reckoned as already earned. And you know nothing. So far, nothing, sir. Listen, you know, maybe you will know. Later on, of course, maybe I shall know. It's a poor lookout, thought our hero. Listen, here's something more, my dear fellow. I am truly grateful to your honor. Was Varemyev here yesterday? Yes, sir. And somebody else? Was he... Try and remember, brother. The man ransacked his memory for a moment and could think of nothing appropriate. No, sir, there wasn't anybody else. Hm. A silence followed. Listen, brother, here's some more. Tell me all, every detail. Yes, sir, Ostafiev had by now become as soft as silk, which was just what Mr. Golyadkin needed. Explain to me now, my good man, what footing is he on? All right, sir, a good one, answered the man, gazing open-eyed at Mr. Golyadkin. How do you mean, all right? Well, it's just like that, sir, here Ostafiev twitched his eyebrows significantly, but he was utterly nonplussed and didn't know what more to say. It's a poor lookout, thought Mr. Golyadkin. And hasn't anything more happened in there about Varemyev? But everything is just as usual. Think a little. There is, they say. Come, what? Ostafiev put his hand in front of his mouth. Wasn't there a letter from here to me? Miev, the attendant, went to Varemyev's lodging, to their German landlady, so I'll go and ask him if you like. Do me the favor, brother, for goodness sake. I only mean... You mustn't imagine anything, brother. I only mean... Yes, you question him, brother. Find out whether they are not getting up something concerning me. Find out how he is acting. That is all I want. That is what you must find out, my dear fellow, and then I'll reward you, my good man. I will, your honor, and Ivan Semenovich sat in your place today, sir. Ivan Semenovich? Oh, Really? You don't say so. Andrei Filipovich told him to sit there. Really? How did that happen? You must find out, brother. For God's sake, find out, brother. Find it all out, and I'll reward you, my dear fellow. That's what I want to know. And don't you imagine anything, brother. Just so, sir, just so. I'll go at once. And aren't you going in today, sir? No, my friend, I only looked round. I only looked round, you know. I only came to have a look round, my friend, and I'll reward you afterwards, my friend. Yes, sir. The man ran rapidly and eagerly up the stairs, and Mr. Golyadkin was left alone. 
It's a poor lookout, he thought. It's a bad business, a bad business. Things are in a bad way with us now. What does it all mean? What did those drunkards' insinuations mean, for instance, and whose trickery was it? Ah, I know whose it was, and what a thing this is. No doubt they found out and made him sit there. But after all, did they sit him there? It was Andrei Filopovitch sat him there, and he sat Ivan Semenovitch there himself. Why did he make him sit there, and with what object? Probably they found out. That is Veremyev's work. That is not Veremyev. He is as stupid as an ashen post, Veremyev is. And they all are at work on his behalf, and they egged that scoundrel on to come here for the same purpose. And the German woman brought up her grievance, the one-eyed hussy. I always suspected that this intrigue was not without an object, and that in all this old womanish gossip there must be something. And I said as much to Krestyan Ivanovitch, telling him they'd sworn to cut a man's throat, in a moral sense, of course, and they pounced upon Karolina Ivanova. Yes, there are master hands at work in this, one can see. Yes, sir, there are master hands at work here, and not Veremyev's. I've said already that Veremyev is stupid, but I, I know who is behind it all. It's that rascal, that impostor. It's only that he relies upon which is partly proved by his successes in the best society, and it would certainly be desirable to know on what footing he stands now. What is he now among them? Only why have they taken Ivan Semenovich? What the devil do they want with Ivan Semenovich? Could not they have found anyone else? Though it would come to the same thing, whoever it had been, and the only thing I know is that I have suspected Ivan Semyonovitch for a long time past. I noticed long ago what a nasty, horrid old man he was. They say he lends money and takes interest like any Jew. To be sure, the bear's the leading spirit in the whole affair. One can only detect the bear in the whole affair. It begins in this way. It began at the Izmailovsky Bridge. That's how it began. At this point, Mr. Golyadkin frowned, as though he had taken a bite out of a lemon, probably remembering something very unpleasant. But there, it doesn't matter, he thought. I keep harping on my own troubles. What will Ostafyev find out? Most likely he is staying on, or he has been delayed somehow. It is a good thing, in a sense, that I am intriguing like this, and am laying mines on my side, too. I've only to give Ostafyev ten kopecks, and he's so to speak, on my side. Only the point is, is he really on my side? Perhaps they've got him on their side, too, and they are carrying on an intrigue by means of him on their side, too. He looks a ruffian, the rascal, a regular ruffian. He's hiding something, the rogue. No, nothing, says he, and I am deeply grateful to your honor, says he. You ruffian, you! He heard a noise. Mr. Golyadkin shrank up and skipped behind the stove. Someone came downstairs and went out into the street. Who could that be going away now, our hero thought to himself. A minute later, footsteps were audible again. At this point, Mr. Golyadkin could not resist poking the very tip of his nose out beyond his corner. He poked it out and instantly withdrew it again, as though someone had pricked it with a pin. This time, there was someone he knew well coming. That is the scoundrel, the intriguer, and the reprobate. He was approaching with his usual mean, tripping little step, prancing and shuffling with his feet as though he were going to kick someone. The rascal, said our hero to himself. 
Mr. Goliadkin could not, however, help observing that the rascal had under his arm a huge green portfolio belonging to his excellency. He's on a special commission again, thought Mr. Goliadkin, flushing crimson and shrinking into himself more than ever from vexation. As soon as Mr. Goliadkin Jr. had slipped past Mr. Goliadkin Sr. without observing him in the least, footsteps were heard for the third time, and this time Mr. Goliadkin guessed that these were Ostafiev's. It was, in fact, the sleek figure of a copying clerk, Pisarenko by name. This surprised Mr. Golyatkin. Why had he mixed up other people in their secret, our hero wondered. What barbarians! Nothing is sacred to them. Well, my friend, he brought out, addressing Pisarenko, who sent you, my friend? I've come about your business. There's no news so far from anyone. But should there be any, we'll let you know. And Ostafiev? It was quite impossible for him to come, Your Honor. His Excellency has walked through the room twice, and I've no time to say. Thank you, my good man, thank you. Only tell me. Upon my word, sir, I can't stay. They are asking for us every minute, but if Your Honor will stay here, we'll let you know if anything happens concerning your little affair. No, my friend, you, you just tell me. Excuse me, I've no time to stay, sir said Pisarenko, tearing himself away from Mr. Golyatkin, who had clutched him by the lapel of his cloak. I really can't. If your honor will stay here, we'll let you know. In a minute, my good man. In a minute. In a minute, my good fellow. I'll tell you what. Here's a letter. And I'll reward you, my good man. Yes, sir. Try and give it to Mr. Golyatkin, my dear fellow. Golyatkin? Yes, my man, to Mr. Golyatkin. Very good, sir. As soon as I get off, I'll take it, and you stay here meanwhile. No one will see you here. No, my good man. Don't imagine. I'm not standing here to avoid being seen, but I'm not going to stay here now, my friend. I'll be close here in the side street. There's a coffee house near here, so I'll wait there, and if anything happens, you let me know about anything, you understand? Very good, sir. Only let me go. I understand. And I'll reward you, Mr. Golyatkin called after Pisarenko when he at last had released him. The rogue seemed to be getting rather rude, our hero reflected, as he stealthily emerged from behind the stove. There's some other dodge here, that's clear. At first it was one thing and another. He really was in a hurry, though. Perhaps there's a great deal to do in the office. And His Excellency had been through the room twice. How did that happen? Ugh, never mind, it may mean nothing, perhaps. But now we shall see. At this point, Mr. Golyatkin was about to open the door, intending to go out into the street, when suddenly, at that very instant, His Excellency's carriage dashed up to the door. Before Mr. Golyatkin had the time to recover from the shock, the door of the carriage was opened from within, and a gentleman jumped out. The gentleman was no other than Mr. Golyatkin, Jr., who had only gone out ten minutes before. Mr. Golyadkin, Sr., remembered that the director's flat was only a couple of paces away. He has been out on a special commission, our hero thought to himself. Meanwhile, Mr. Golyadkin, Jr. took out of the carriage a thick green portfolio and other papers. Finally, giving some orders to the coachman, he opened the door, almost ran up against Mr. Golyadkin, Sr., purposely avoided noticing him, acting in this way expressly to annoy him and mounted the office staircase at a rapid canter. It's a bad lookout, thought Mr. Golyadkin. This is what it has come to now. Oh, good Lord, look at him! 
For half a minute our hero remained motionless. At last he made up his mind, without pausing to think, though he was aware of a violent palpitation at the heart, and a tremor in all of his limbs, he ran up the stairs after his enemy. Here goes. What does it matter to me? I have nothing to do with the case, he thought, taking off his hat, his greatcoat, and his galoshes in the entry. When Mr. Golyadkin walked into his office, it was already getting dusk. Neither Andrei Filipovitch nor Anton Antonovitch were in the room. Both of them were in the director's room, handing in reports. The director, so it was rumored, was in haste to report to a still higher excellency. In consequence of this, and also because twilight was coming on, and the office hours were almost over, several of the clerks, especially the younger ones, were, at the moment when our hero entered, enjoying a period of inactivity, gathered together in groups. They were talking, arguing, and laughing, and some of the most youthful, that is, belonging to the lowest grades in the service, had got up a game of pitch-farthing in a corner, by a window. Knowing what was proper, and feeling at the moment a special need to conciliate and get on with them, Mr. Golyadkin immediately approached those with whom he used to get on best, in order to wish them good day, and so on. But his colleagues answered his greetings rather strangely. He was unpleasantly impressed by a certain coldness, even curtness, one may almost say, severity, in their manner. No one shook hands with him. Some simply said good day and walked away, others barely nodded. One simply turned away and pretended not to notice him. At last some of them, and what mortified Mr. Golyadkin most of all, some of the youngsters of the lowest grades, mere lads, who, as Mr. Golyadkin justly observed about them, were capable of nothing but hanging about and playing pitch-farthing at every opportunity, little by little collected round Mr. Golyadkin, formed a group round him and almost barred his way. They all looked at him with a sort of insulting curiosity. It was a bad sign. Mr. Golyadkin felt this, and very judiciously decided not to notice it. Suddenly a quite unexpected event completely finished him off, as they say, and utterly crushed him. At the moment most trying to Mr. Golyadkin Sr., suddenly as though by design there appeared in the group of fellow clerks surrounding him the figure of Mr. Golyadkin Jr., gay as ever, smiling a little smile as ever, nimble too as ever, in short, mischievous, skipping and tripping, chuckling and fawning, with sprightly tongue and sprightly toe, as always, precisely as he had been the day before, at a very unpleasant moment for Mr. Golyadkin Sr., for instance. Grinning, tripping, and turning with a smile that seemed to say good evening to everyone, he squeezed his way into the group of clerks, shaking hands with one, slapping another on the shoulders, putting his arm round another, explaining to a fourth how he had come to be employed by his excellency, where he had been, what he had done, what he had brought with him. To the fifth, probably his most intimate friend, he gave a resounding kiss. In fact, everything happened as it had in Mr. Golyadkin's dream. When he had skipped about to his heart's content, polished them all off in his usual way, disposed them all in his favor, whether he needed them or not, when he had lavished his blandishment to the delectation of all the clerks, Mr. Golyadkin Jr. suddenly, and most likely by mistake, for he had not yet time to notice his senior, held out his hand to Mr. Golyadkin Sr. also, probably also by mistake, though he had time to observe the dishonorable Mr. Golyadkin Jr. thoroughly, 
our hero at once eagerly seized the hand so unexpectedly held out to him and pressed it in the warmest and friendliest way pressed it with a strange quite unexpected inner feeling with a tearful emotion whether our hero was misled by the first movement of his worthless foe or was taken unawares or without recognizing it felt at the bottom of his heart how defenceless he was it is difficult to say the fact remains that mr golyadkin senior apparently knowing what he was doing of his own free will before witnesses solemnly shook hands with him whom he called his mortal foe but what was the amazement the stupefaction and fury what was the horror and the shame of mr golyadkin senior when his enemy and mortal foe the dishonorable mr golyadkin junior noticing the mistake of that persecuted innocent perfidiously deceived man without a trace of shame of feeling of compassion or of conscience pulled his hand away with insufferable rudeness and insolence what was worse he shook the hand as though it had been polluted with something horrid what is more he spat aside with disgust accompanying this with a most insulting gesture worse still he drew out his handkerchief and in the most unseemly way wiped all the fingers that had rested for one moment in the hand of mr golyadkin senior while he did this mr golyadkin junior looked about him in his characteristic horrid way took care that everyone should see what he was doing glanced into people's eyes and evidently tried to insinuate to everyone everything that was most unpleasant in regard to mr golyadkin senior mr golyadkin junior's revolting behavior seemed to arouse general indignation among the clerks that surrounded them even the frivolous youngsters showed their displeasure a murmur of protest rose on all sides mr golyadkin could not but discern the general feeling but suddenly an appropriate witticism that bubbled from the lips of mr golyadkin junior shattered annihilated our hero's last hopes and inclined the balance again in favour of his deadly and undeserving foe here's our russian fabulous gentlemen allow me to introduce the youthful fabulous piped mr golyadkin junior with his characteristic insolence pirouetting and threading his way among the clerks and directing their attention to the petrified though genuine mr golyadkin let us kiss each other darling he went on with insufferable familiarity addressing the man he had so treacherously insulted mr golyadkin jr's unworthy jest seemed to touch a responsive chord for it contained an artful allusion to an incident with which all were apparently familiar our hero was painfully conscious of the hand of his enemies but he had made up his mind by now with glowing eyes with pale face with a fixed smile he tore himself somehow out of the crowd and with uneven hurried steps made straight for his excellency's private room in the room next to last he was met by andrey filopovitch who had only just come out from seeing his excellency and although there were present in this room at the moment a good number of persons whom mr golyadkin knew nothing of yet our hero did not care to take such a fact into consideration boldly resolutely directly almost wondering at himself and inwardly admiring his own courage without loss of time he accosted andrey filopovitch who was a good deal surprised by this unexpected attack ah what is it what do you want asked the head of the division not hearing mr golyadkin's hesitating words andrey filopovitch may 
Might I, Andrei Filipovich, may I have a conversation with His Excellency at once and in private? Our hero said resolutely and distinctly, fixing the most determined glance on Andrei Filipovich. What next? Of course not, Andrei Filipovich scanned Mr. Golyadkin from head to foot. I say all this, Andrei Filipovich, because I am surprised that no one here unmasks the impostor and scoundrel. What? Scoundrel, Andrei Filipovich. Of whom are you pleased to speak in those terms? Of a certain person, Andrei Filipovich. I'm alluding, Andrei Filipovich, to a certain person. I have the right, I imagine, Andrei Filipovich, that the authorities would surely encourage such an action, added Mr. Golyadkin, evidently hardly knowing what he was saying. Andrei Filipovich, but no doubt you see yourself, Andrei Filipovich, that this honorable action is a mark of my loyalty in every way, of my looking upon my superior as a father, Andrei Filipovich. I as much as to say look upon my benevolent superior as a father and blindly trust my fate to him. It's as much as to say, you see, at this point Mr. Goliadkin's voice trembled and two tears ran down his eyelashes. As Andrei Filipovich listened to Mr. Goliadkin, he was so astonished that he could not help stepping back a couple of paces. Then he looked about himself, uneasily. It is difficult to say how the matter would have ended, but suddenly the door of His Excellency's room was opened, and he himself came out, accompanied by several officials. All the persons in his room followed in a string. His Excellency called Andrei Filipovich and walked beside him, beginning to discuss some business details. When all had set off and gone out of the room, Mr. Golyadkin woke up. Growing calmer, he took refuge under the wing of Anton Antonovich, who came last in the procession, and who, Mr. Golyadkin fancied, looked stern and anxious. I've been talking nonsense, I've been making a mess of it again, but there, never mind, he thought. I hope at least that you, Anton Antonovich, will consent to listen to me, and to enter into my position, he said quietly, in a voice that still trembled a little. Rejected by all, I appeal to you. I am still at a loss to understand what Andrei Filipovich's words mean, Anton Antonovich. Explain them to me, if you can. Everything will be explained in due time, Anton Antonovich replied sternly and emphatically, and as Mr. Golyadkin fancied with an air that gave him plainly to understand that Anton Antonovich did not wish to continue the conversation. You will soon know all about it. You will be officially informed about everything today. What do you mean, officially informed, Anton Antonovich? Why officially, our hero asked timidly. It is not for you and me to discuss what our superiors decide upon, Yakov Petrovich. Why our superiors, Anton Antonovich, said our hero, still more intimidated. Why our superiors? I don't see what reason there is to trouble our superiors in the matter, Anton Antonovich. Perhaps you mean to say something about yesterday's doings, Anton Antonovich? Oh no, nothing to do with yesterday. There's something else amiss with you. What is there amiss, Anton Antonovich? I believe, Anton Antonovich, that I have done nothing amiss. Why, you were meaning to be sly with someone, Anton Antonovich cut in sharply, completely flabbergasting Mr. Golyadkin. Mr. Golyadkin started and turned as white as a pocket handkerchief. Of course, Anton Antonovich, he said in a voice hardly audible, 
If one listens to the voice of calumny and hears one's enemy's tales without heeding what the other side has to say in its defense, then of course, then of course, Anton Antonovitch, one must suffer innocently and for nothing. To be sure, but your unseemly conduct in injuring the reputation of a virtuous young lady belonging to that benevolent, highly distinguished and well-known family who had befriended you. What conduct do you mean, Anton Antonovitch? What I say? Do you know anything about your praiseworthy conduct in regard to that other young lady who, though poor, is of honourable foreign extraction? Allow me, Anton Antonovitch, if you would kindly listen to me, Anton Antonovitch, and your treacherous behaviour and your slander of another person, your charging another person with your own sins. Ah, what do you call that? I did not send him away, Anton Antonovitch, said our hero with a tremor and I've never instructed Petrushka, my man, to do anything of the sort. He has eaten my bread, Anton Antonovitch. He has taken advantage of my hospitality, our hero added expressively and with deep emotion, so much that his chin twitched a little and tears were ready to start again. That is only your talk that he has eaten your bread, answered Anton Antonovitch, somewhat offended, and there was a perfidious note in his voice which sent a pang to Mr. Golyadkin's heart. Allow me most humbly to ask you again, Anton Antonovitch, is His Excellency aware of all this business? Upon my word, you must let me go now, though. I've no time for you now. You'll know everything you need to know today. Allow me, for God's sake, one minute, Anton Antonovitch. Tell me afterwards. No, Anton Antonovitch, I, I, you see, Anton Antonovitch, only listen. I am not one for free-thinking, Anton Antonovitch. I shun free-thinking. I am quite ready for my part. And, indeed, I've given up that idea. Very good, very good. I've heard that already. No, you have not heard it, Anton Antonovitch. It is something else, Anton Antonovitch. It's a good thing, really, a good thing and pleasant to hear. As I've explained to you, Anton Antonovitch, I admit that idea, that divine providence has created two men exactly alike and that a benevolent government seeking the hand of providence provided a birth for two twins. That is a good thing, Anton Antonovitch. You see that it is a very good thing, Anton Antonovitch, and that I am very far from free-thinking. I look upon my benevolent government as a father. I say yes, by all means. You are benevolent authorities, and you, of course, a young man must be in the service. Stand up for me, Anton Antonovitch. Take my part, Anton Antonovitch. I am all right, Anton Antonovitch, for God's sake, one little word more, Anton Antonovitch. But by now, Anton Antonovitch was far away from Mr. Golyadkin. Our hero was so bewildered and overcome by all that had happened, and all that he had heard that he did not know where he was standing, what he had heard, what he had done what was being done to him and what was going to be done to him with imploring eyes he sought for anton antonovitch in the crowd of clerks that he might justify himself further in his eyes and say something to him extremely high-toned and very agreeable and creditable to himself by degrees however a new light began to break upon our hero's bewildered mind a new and awful light that revealed at once a whole perspective of hitherto unknown and utterly unsuspected circumstances at this moment somebody gave our bewildered hero a poke in the ribs he looked around pisarenko was standing before him a letter your honour ah you've been out already then my good man 
No, it was brought at ten o'clock this morning. Sergei Miev, the attendant, bought it from Mr. Varemyev's lodging. Very good, very good, and I'll reward you now, my dear fellow. Saying this, Mr. Golyadkin thrust the letter in the side pocket of his uniform and buttoned up every button of it. Then he looked round him, and, to his surprise, found that he was by now in the hall of the department, in a group of clerks crowding at the outer door, for office hours were now over. Mr. Golyadkin had not only failed till that moment to observe this circumstance, but had no notion how he suddenly came to be wearing his greatcoat and galoshes, and to be holding his hat in his hand. All the clerks were standing motionless in reverential expectation. The fact was that His Excellency was standing at the bottom of the stairs waiting for his carriage, which was for some reason late in arriving, and was carrying on a very interesting conversation with Andrei Filopovitch and two councillors. At a little distance from Andrei Filopovitch stood Anton Antonovitch and several other clerks, who were all smiles, seeing that His Excellency was graciously making a joke. The clerks who were crowded at the top of the stairs were smiling too, in expectation of His Excellency's laughing again. The only one who was not smiling was Fedyosevich, the corpulent hall porter, who stood stiffly at attention, holding the handle of the door, waiting impatiently for the daily gratification that fell to his share, that is, the task of flinging one half of the door wide open with a swing of his arm, and then with a low bow reverentially making way for His Excellency to pass but the one who seemed to be more delighted than any and to feel the most satisfaction of all was the worthless and ungentlemanly enemy of mr golyadkin at that instant he positively forgot all the clerks and even gave up tripping and pirouetting in his usual odious way he even forgot to make up to anybody he was all eyes and ears he even doubled himself up strangely no doubt in the strained effort to hear and never took his eyes off his excellency and only from time to time his arms, legs, and head twitched with faintly perceptible tremors that betrayed the secret emotions of his soul. Ah, isn't he in a state, thought our hero. He looks like a favorite, the rascal. I should like to know how it is that he deceives society of every class. He has neither brains nor character, neither education nor feeling. He's a lucky rogue. Mercy on us! How can a man, when you think of it, come and make friends with everyone so quickly? and he'll get on i swear the fellow will get on the rogue will make his way he's a lucky rascal i should like to know too what he keeps whispering to every one what plots he is hatching with all these people and what secrets they are talking about lord have mercy on us if only i could get on with them a little too say this and that and the other hadn't i better ask him tell him i won't do it say i'm in fault and a young man must serve nowadays, Your Excellency. I am not in the least abashed by my obscure position. So there. I am not going to protest in any way, either. I shall bear it all with meekness and patience. So there. Is that the way to behave? Though you'll never see through him, the rascal, you can't reach him with anything you say. You can't hammer reason into his head. We'll make an effort, though. I may happen to hit on a good moment, so I'll make an effort feeling in his uneasiness his misery and his bewilderment that he couldn't leave things like this that the critical moment had come that he must explain himself to someone our hero began to move a little towards the place where his worthless and undeserving enemy stood but at that very moment his excellency's long-expected carriage rolled up into the entrance fedyosevich flung open the door and bending double let his excellency pass out 
all the waiting clerks streamed out towards the door and for a moment separated mr golyatkin senior from mr golyatkin junior you shan't get away said our hero forcing his way through the crowd while he kept his eyes fixed on the man he wanted at last the crowd dispersed our hero felt he was free and flew in pursuit of his enemy End of chapter 10